Hello, we're the Harris family. My name is Brian. This is my wife, Erin. We have our two boys, Owen, age eight, and Ellis, age six. We live in Center Valley. And we started coming to Riverbend about five years ago. We love it. Um, one of the things that I think drew us to Riverbend, it was about being out in the valley and the community and loving the people um, that we do life with daily. And that really um, was something that appealed to us. We really enjoyed the community groups. Um, I was going through a trying time uh, health-wise. I was just diagnosed with a condition called Crohn's. I was uh, scheduled for uh, a surgery, uh, major surgery, um, and the pandemic had just started. So it was a little apprehensive um, knowing that you're going to be in the hospital for anywhere from like three to seven days, um, not having anyone to visit you, but our community group really just circled around us and we just felt so loved and cared for. Yeah, I think um, Matt and Jessica Reeves leading that group, um, that was a healing thing for us. Um, I think just to feel cared for um, so much in that season, especially with the pandemic starting and so much uncertainty for everyone, and yet um, everybody came around us. Another thing that I think um, I love about Riverbend is that um, the emphasis on seeing the whole um, church, all the ages as the church, um, and our kids being included in that. Um, our one son is very into recycling, and just the amount of encouragement that he's received, even at eight years old, that what he's doing is a part of serving the church um, is just neat. And I've seen that with other kids as well in our church, um, that people just encourage them um, that they are part of the church right now. One of the ways that we try to live out our faith in the community is just in interacting with the people that we come across with day to day, um, the garbage men, the grocery store workers, um, Brian through his job and being able to serve um, just the employees of the company and walk with them through hard times. Um, so those are some of the ways that we try to live our faith out as we're in the community. We just really appreciate Riverbend for um, encouraging us in those steps um, and being a part of that journey, being the fellowship and the community that we have as, as we do life. Can we give it up for the Harris family, guys? It's been amazing to have them as a part of our community. And just like they said, they are so thankful for the people God has placed around them and how cared for, known, and loved they are. And um, the beauty is, is it's a mutually beneficial relationship. As much as they've received, they also give back. They're uh, one of our community group leaders. And we're going to be hearing from more people from our community as we go through this series, Known and Loved. Sorry, Jake, can you turn me down just a little? I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong, brother. My apologies. All right, so I'm Pastor Chris. And as Joe shared, um, I've benefited quite a bit from being known and loved by Riverbend. And what we want to do in this series, this series is called Known and Loved, and it's our universal need for gospel-centered community. And we want to reinforce River, Riverbend's vision for community groups. And I'm essentially over all the community group leaders. I oversee a lot of the community groups things here. And our vision 
is built around one of our core values, which was relating authentically as we point each other to Jesus each and every day. And there's three vital components that we want to live out when we talk about healthy gospel-centered community. And it's our desire that each and everyone who ultimately considers themselves a part of Riverbend have the opportunity to have these three things. So we're going to go through them right now. The first is to be known by a local community of believers. So obviously we congregate here on Sundays and we, corporate, we worship corporately together. But we have these smaller groups where you can be a part of and be known and really work out your faith together. The second part of this is not only to be known by these people, but to be encouraged in the reality of Jesus's gospel. And then the third is to be sent in alignment with Christ's purpose for our lives. And I want to share with you a quote. Many of you know me, especially you guys from Men's Breakfast. You know I love to share Tim Keller quotes. So we're going to go ahead and get that out of the way now. This is a, a quote that I feel kicks this series off really well. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. So as we explore our vision behind relational community, Joe kind of already tipped it off a little bit, but on the front end, I want to let you know how much I've benefited from being known and loved here at Riverbend. I can't impress how thankful I am for the people that God has placed around me that really inform who I am today over the last 15 years. From that first call Joe made to me in 2008 when he invited me to be a part of this God-sized vision for a new church in the Valley, to the growth Sam and I experienced in Tom and Beth Ann's, uh, Beth Ann Miller's marriage group, to the prayer and encouragement that I share with so many of the men that are here that come to our men's breakfast at the Bethlehem Diner on Wednesday mornings. Finally, to the uh, patient and consistent teaching that my children receive at the McDaniels house on Thursday evenings. My family and I are a product of the people God has seen fit to place around us. And they're a testament to God's love for me. And I want to make sure as we go into this series that you guys know the power of authentic missional community here at Riverbend. But before we dive deeper into these three aspects, I want to turn our attention to a passage that seeks to challenge each and every person who seeks to follow Jesus in their daily lives. And it's essential as we go through this series that we recognize every one of us has a universal need for gospel-centered community the primary vehicle God uses to continue to grow us in our understanding of him and seeking the purpose he has for us as his children. So in 1 John 4, the Apostle John talks about the correlation between knowing God's love freely given to all who believe and a growing desire to love one another as we respond to his love. So this is 1 John 4. 9 through 17, we'll read these verses together. This is how God showed his love among us. 
He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning. And Lord, it's just so encouraging to see uh, just all the work that you're doing in our community. Um, Whether it's for the foundations for the Valley campaign and those who gave sacrificially, Lord, and just the exciting future that means for Riverbend. Um, Lord, whether it's just even learning more about what it means to be known and loved and how you use that in our lives, Lord, to encourage one another, to send one another. Lord, we just pray that your spirit would fill this place and that you would speak through me and that we would come away with a better understanding of what it means to be known and loved. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so as we go through this passage, we're going to hit three different buckets. The first is going to be God's love must be known before it can be shown. The second is how do we love one another? And the third is the weight of sacrificial love. So the first one, God's love must be known before it can be shown. Let's go back to our verse here. We're going to read verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. My first point is that that Jesus was the physical expression of God's love. So before we can even begin to look at the implications of God's love in our own lives, It's essential that we focus on the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. He came to be the fulfillment of God's law. As he said, he is the only way, truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. He brought God's message of hope into a broken world, that the blind would receive sight, that the lame would walk, that the lepers would be cleansed, the deaf would hear, and the good news would be proclaimed to the poor. As John the Baptist testifies in John 1, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus lived the life no one else could live, healing, teaching, and serving those who could not repay him. 
Every ounce of who he was radiated the goodness of God before mankind. He was not only the perfect example for those seeking to follow God's will. He was the only one equal with God and the only one powerful enough to conquer sin and death. So whether you're hearing about Jesus for the first time today, or you've had a relationship with him for decades, it's important to remember that his grace is sufficient for each and every one of us, regardless of our background, our experience, our current set of circumstances, our insecurities, our weaknesses. His invitation for redemption, healing, and restoration is extended to all who call on him. He invites us into something so much greater than what we can produce in and of ourselves. Not only the promise of eternal life with God, but the adventure of eternal life as we grow closer to him every day. So let's read on here. We're going to go to 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. God loved you before you knew him. It's so important that we recognize our need to be recipients of God's love and not the other way around. The Apostle Paul wrote to the um, church in Rome, Romans 5.8, he said, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us while we were dead in our sin. So in the midst of our spiritual helplessness, God graciously intervened. We had nothing of value that we could offer him, yet he still chose to come near to us. Take a moment to comprehend the weight of that reality. That our value rests solely on God's posture toward us. The very recognition of our helplessness before God is what allows us to receive his gift of righteousness through Jesus. This is the all-important difference between all other religions and a relationship with a loving Heavenly Father. Religion asks the question, what must I do to be accepted? Shifting our acceptance to our personal performance. So many of us attempt to win the affection of God and others in our own strength when all God asks for is our humility. In James 4, it's written that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Unlike one who's continually attempting to earn approval, only those who humble themselves and cry out to God will receive his grace and his mercy. Further on in verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God loved us sacrificially. We witness imperfect examples of this in our own life, in parents who forego their own wants or needs for the care of their children, in spouses who honor their promise to stand by one another in sickness and in health, or in friends who are there for each other even when it's inconvenient or difficult. When love is sacrificial, the act of service continues past the point where it hurts. Sacrificial love willingly denies itself 
to secure the good of another. So a little audience participation here. What would you say, and don't give the churchy answers, okay? Give the real answers that happen throughout the week. What would you say is your most prized possession? I can attest to that. Motorcycle? <laughs> Any others? Your family? Your time? Sleep? That's a good one. So for me, I would, if I was being truly honest, I would say, I mean, obviously, aside from Sam and the girls, I would say my MacBook Pro. Or my iPad Pro, which is up here with me right now. Or my gym time, that's fine. These things right here, I, I definitely get more value than I should from these things. This, is, this allows me to do a lot of my job. I have my script up here right now. But ultimately, these things I feel very competent in. And um, I feel like I do them well. And it gives me value. So here's the next question. When you have that prized possession, right? Would you be willing to give that possession up to better serve your spouse? Would you be willing to give that possession up? What was that? Would you be willing to give that possession up to better serve your children? What about your church or your community? What about an acquaintance? Or as we are called to love, our enemies. This is what God did for us. While we were still sinners, God gave his one and only son for us. The greatest example of sacrificial love that he gave his most prized possession, his one and only son. And in doing so, he subjected him to all the sickness and brokenness of this world. And while human, Christ perfectly endured every temptation known to man. And being found blameless was ultimately rejected by mankind and suffered to the point of dying on a cross. Because of God's sacrificial love, we are now made righteous in the eyes of God. We've been covered by Christ's finished work. Every blemish and misstep, every time we dress slovenly, we've taken all of these things have been transmitted to Jesus, and it says he's our atoning sacrifice, right? So he covers us. So every misstep we've ever had, every blemish we've ever had has been covered by Christ's finished work. And when God sees us, he sees Christ. He sees beauty. So Jesus has made it possible for each and every one of us to be fully known and truly loved. Amen? All right. We can all go home now. Nope. Let's take a look at what Christ told his disciples in John 15. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And this is right after he commanded them to love one another in the same way he loved them. This is a really tall order. 
Sacrificial love does not come naturally. We are inherently selfish beings. Who can withstand the weight of this command? And that leads us to our next question. How do we love one another? We go on here and we read verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We ought to love one another, but we often don't. If we've been exposed to the sacrificial love of Jesus, and we know his command to love one another in the same way he's loved, how does our track record for sacrificial love look from moment to moment? I'm not going to speculate on the specifics of your personal relationships, but I can tell you from my personal experience that it is a struggle for me to love others well. So often the rhythms of life take hold, and I revert to autopilot, sauntering through life with my eyes to the floor, keeping my AirPods in as I'm at the gym, when there are countless individuals who need the healing and encouragement that we've been called to bring to others. For so many of us, the reality is, is that we're way too focused on our personal situation to allow for a sensitivity and awareness to God's prompting in our daily lives. This is why Christ commands his followers in Matthew 16 that whoever wants to be his disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross to follow him. Note that Jesus' mandate is a two-step approach. If we're to love one another as he did, we need to first deny ourselves. Go back to our prized possession. Ask yourself what you desire more than anything else. What regularly consumes your thoughts? What pictures fill your YouTube or Instagram feed or whatever social network you belong to? I can tell you Mark Zuckerberg knows my love for new tech items and effective workouts. And while these things aren't inherently evil, the energy that I spend on them create an opportunity cost that immobilizes me in the ultimate purpose that God has for me. We said it was a two-step approach, so that's just the first step is to deny yourself. Secondly, it's not enough to simply abstain from your overwhelming desires. We need to respond by following Jesus in his mission to secure the good of others he's seen fit to place in our lives. As John mentions in verse 12, no one has ever seen God. So how are they to know of our great love for him? Through the loving service and attention of those who follow Christ. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, that we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. Similarly, Christ commands us in Matthew 5 to let our light shine before others, that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. As Christ was once the physical manifestation of God's love on earth, that role has now been transferred to us as his followers. We are to be his hands and feet in the broken world. 
We are to be his agents of reconciliation. So how can we honestly fill Christ's shoes in the context of our own lives? His standard supersedes the righteousness of God's law. No one was able to stand against it but him. This is a heavy weight, and in our own strength, we would never be able to withstand these expectations. But take heart, because we've been given an advocate. It says here in verse 13, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. One way we love one another is through the gift of the Holy Spirit. God has given us this gift. And for those who come to know God, we have the promise and gift of his animating presence living in and through us. To the extent that we're sensitive to the Spirit's promptings, we will, by his grace, begin to live, move, and breathe in accordance with God's good, pleasing, and perfect will toward others. Over the last few years, a few men and I from Men's Breakfast have had the pleasure of studying the Gospel of Mark, which centered around Jesus' example and influence on his disciples in the course of his ministry. After we went through that book, we went into Acts, which is the biblical account of the early church following Christ's ascension into heaven. What blew me away was the stark difference between the posture in the posture of the disciples before they had the gift of the Holy Spirit and after they had the gift of the Holy Spirit. I look at Peter, who, was continually, mis, who continually misunderstood Christ in the course of his ministry, to the point of fearfully denying him during his trial and crucifixion, to one who boldly proclaimed the truth of the gospel, converting thousands in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit came upon him at the day of Pentecost. In Acts 2, the Spirit is described as a violent, mighty wind, a power so consuming that those who were affected couldn't help but become active participants in doing God's will. We too, as believers, as they did then, have access to the power of God's Holy Spirit. To the degree that we're sensitive to the Spirit's prompting, we'll continually be reminded of Christ's presence in our current reality, giving us confident assurance in his promises and the ability to set aside our personal desires to seek first his kingdom and righteousness here on earth. Let's continue to read here. How else can we love one another? Verse 14, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. Next way we can love one another is through our personal acknowledgement and testimony. In addition to the Spirit, we testify that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Though he made himself vulnerable as a man, he was the only one powerful enough to save a broken world. And in by our acknowledgement of that, we include ourselves in the ranks of the broken. If Christ is our personal Lord and Savior, we no longer need to feel shame over our blemished record, 
But by Jesus' finished work, we now have license to boast in our weakness. Freely confessing our wrongdoing before God and others in order to bring about forgiveness and healing. In James 5.16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And this should not stop once we cross that line of justification and become saved. This is a very scary step to take, to become vulnerable before God and before others in your community. But it is so necessary in the context of your church. Those of us who have been sitting in church pews for decades need to relearn what it looks like to model our own repentance before God and others. There are people in this room without hope who can benefit from your humility and your stories of redemption. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope you have in Jesus. That talks, so we look at our acknowledgement and then our testimony. Last year, um, Matt Kay led a launch group, which was for those looking to just start small group within the context of their own personal spheres of influence. And one of the exercises we did is we took two words that would describe us before we knew Jesus. So for me, it was comfort and pleasure. Many of you know that I, I enjoyed a good drink, and I really sought after that momentary short-term pleasure. And I was just very comfortable, very introverted. Again, my eyes to the floor. Then we look at the two descriptors that we would say we are now as we've grown in our faith journey since we've known Jesus. And this is something that doesn't happen for all of us right away. This is a very slow process, and it was a very slow process for me, well over 15 years. But ultimately, that comfort and pleasure is, by his grace, becoming community and purpose. As I talked about before, the community here and the people that God has put close to me and the people who have been patient with me have allowed me to grow into Christ's image. So in your own time this week, think of two words that would describe you before you knew Christ. And two words after. So many people don't feel like they can share their faith because they feel like they don't have all the answers. And the crazy thing is you don't have to have all the answers. It's your personal experience with Jesus. Who were you and who are you now? That's very compelling. We don't need to be able to refute all these other questions and religions. A lot of times it's just a diversion tactic. Who were you and who are you now? With that we go to our third bucket. The weight of sacrificial love. We're going to read verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Look at those last seven, I think there's a seven, is it six words? Seven words. In this world, We are like Jesus. 
this statement should carry a heavy weight in the hearts and minds of everyone looking to follow Christ. I want to share a song with you that I wrote in one of the heaviest seasons of my ministry. This was in February of 2017, and our church had just hosted our first year of Night to Shine. And we were on a high as we witnessed God provide for us in ways that we would not think possible. Am I right, Monica? A few short days later, I got a call in the early morning hours that my good friend, one of my best friends, had passed away due to some unfortunate decisions that he'd made in the last few weeks. And for those of you who didn't know him, he was a big part of those who initially served to make Riverbend community into what it is today. I'd spent nearly every weekday morning with him at the gym in the two years leading up to that day. And I'd gotten to the point where I thought I knew him really deeply. I celebrated with him in the good times, sat with him in his difficulty. And here I was on February 15th, faced with the reality that my friend was no longer on this earth. This was compounded by the fact that I was to plan many of the logistics surrounding his funeral, something I was not familiar with. So I didn't really have the ability to grieve his loss until all of it was over. Some questions that entered my head in the midst of all this was, what was to come of the hours upon hours that I invested in this man relationally? What was, how, how would this be reflected on my personal discipleship methods, right? My ego took a hit. Where was God in this tragedy? He seemed so far away. And it was in the weight of those moments that I remembered a, pass- a passage in Micah 6.8 that addresses those who feel crushed under the weight of living sacrificially. It's actually Micah 6. Six through eight. We're going to look at those now. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Here's the response. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly humbly with your God. This song is called The Overlap. Thank you. 
for us to remember that we love because God first loved us. I think that's 1 John 4.20. We won't be looking at that verse today, but when we begin to feel the weight of his calling in our own lives and are confronted with our inability to carry the brokenness of this world in our own strength, we're quietly reminded to rely on the promise Christ gives those who approach him in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're reminded that Christ lifted the weight of the cross for us. He's carried the sin of the world on his capable shoulders so that we might approach God as a child approaches their loving parent. As God's children, we are by no means excluded from Christ's work here on earth. But we can do so with the confident assurance of forgiveness, healing, and an inheritance for those who are found in Christ Jesus. Those who have been covered by his atoning sacrifice. We can now live, move, and breathe freely in his righteousness, lovingly serving those 
by the power of his Holy Spirit. I'm going to end with one of C.S. Lewis's most famous sermons, The Way to Glory. This is from the end of the sermon. It may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. Each and every person sitting here today is heading toward one of these two destinations on the day of judgment. To those who have been covered in Christ's righteousness, God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. To those who have denied his invitation, he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. This reality carries a heavy weight because of the truth it sheds on so many of our lives. Some of you in this room may feel dull and uninteresting, as C.S. Lewis puts it. You feel unheard and lonely. You feel like no one notices you or that no one can relate to what you're currently going through. Christ is the only one who can heal and restore the pain you carry each and every day. And there's a place for you here among the church body at Riverbend. We encourage you to seek out gospel-centered community with trusted individuals who can walk alongside you in your faith journey. Others of you in this room are probably consumed with your thoughts of your potential glory. Do your thoughts often drift to the next purchase you can make, the next recognition you will get the next meal or drink you can fill yourself with to take the edge off. Your actions or lack thereof reflect poorly on those that you've been called to love. All day we are helping one another toward or away from Jesus Christ. In Matthew 6, Christ invites you to put your wants aside for the greater purpose of seeking first his kingdom and righteousness today. And finally, when we realize the weight of what we've been called into and inevitably fail at carrying the weight of our neighbor's glory in our own strength, we need to be willing to repent and submit to him once more, casting our cares upon him. He's the only one strong enough to carry this weight. We are responsible just for our obedience as he prompts us. We are not responsible for the outcome. Every single act we carry, or I mean, sorry, every single act we take carries the weight of eternity. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. One last thing for those who are, who are his children. If our, found, if our salvation has already been secured by the blood of the Lamb, let us be the extension of Christ's love for one another. The hands and feet of Jesus for those who desperately need the hope that can only come from a loving relationship with our Heavenly Father. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we thank you so much for the fact that we are your, who are your children, Lord, are covered in Christ's atoning sacrifice. Every misstep we've ever taken, every blemish we've ever taken, Lord, has been covered, and we are beautiful in your sight. We thank you for that reality. Lord, I pray for those who do not yet know you, who are considering that invitation, Lord, that they would move out in obedience as the Holy Spirit convicts them, and that they would come to know you as their personal Lord and Savior. And Lord, I just also pray for us, Lord, that we would be able to not only deny ourselves and abstain from these things that take us away from your great love and our our, uh, participation in your love for others, but Lord, in doing so, that we would respond to the great love that we have been called into and that we get to participate in freely without Lord, I just pray that you would move, that you convict, and that you would go before us. We pray these things in your powerful name. Amen.